What's up, guys? My name is Chris Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. you got to make sacrifices for your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Hadlin. Today's guest is Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt and winner of The Ultimate Fighter, Chris Holdsworth. Chris has one of the most interesting paths in jiu-jitsu and then transitioning into MMA and becoming a UFC star after winning The Ultimate Fighter. He had so many great stories to tell that we've decided to split the podcast into two parts. In part one today, Chris talks about training at the Gracie Academy in Torrance and witnessing some Gracie challenges along the way. Chris also shares some stories about how he moved away from California to Las Vegas to train with Mark Lehman and Jeff Glover. He also breaks down his match against Rafael Mendez in the brown belt division way back in the late 2000s and how that experience was. In part two next week, Chris touches more on his UFC career, the experience of winning the ultimate fighter, and also how due to some unfortunate injuries, he's had to transition into being a coach. So he talks about how that experience was, as well as giving some advice to some of the up and comers that I think would be really valuable. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. So here we go with part one with Chris Holdsworth. Hi Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice to meet you and finally get to talk. I want to start off with asking you, what to you is success as a fighter or a grappler? Um, you know, I think uh, not giving up and, you know, just, just going through white to black belt. Well, you, you can be successful as a grappler at any belt, don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it hurts my heart when I see people like stop early at blue or purple. And, you know, they come back like, man, I wish I wouldn't have stopped. I would have been black belt by now. And so I hear that a lot. So, you know, the people who stick with it, that's always like, you know, a cool thing to see. But I think a successful fighter needs to have a well-rounded game. They need to, you know, have a winning record, (laughs) I guess, you know, because you won't be very successful if you don't have a winning record. That goes for MMA and grappling in general. Like if you got every grappling tournament, you just get tapped out. Like you're probably not very, you know, successful or considered to be successful. So I think for sure winning more than you lose and I think that's just a big part of it, you know, being successful, uh, you know, that's, that's probably what it is, just winning more than you lose. <laughs> it's funny, the, the difference between MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, they're so similar in so many ways, but they're also so different. And one of the ways I think is how people measure success. Like for Jiu-Jitsu, I find a lot, your wins are really remembered. Like you can lose 10 tournaments in a row and then you win one big one and you're an absolute legend. But for MMA, it seems like you can be George St. Pierre and you get caught with one punch and all of a sudden you're shit, you know? So it's funny that they're so similar, but so different. Yeah. Maybe going back on that, like thinking about it now, like, uh, you know, making it to the UFC is probably like, you know, that's a big, you know, uh, milestone for a lot of people that fight mixed, mixed martial arts and maybe, you know, in jujitsu winning a big tournament, like, you know, uh, you know, the ADCC trials or, you know, some huge tournament, you know, the EBI or whatever, you know, combat worlds that you did, like, I would say that's definitely, uh, you know, that should be in your head. Like, man, you know, I'm becoming successful at this. I'm winning big tournaments. I'm beating good guys. So, you know, winning big things is definitely, uh, you know, helps. But I remember a lot of my losses personally. Like the wins, of course, you remember. But I, you know, I probably, I know for sure I remember all my losses and uh, everybody who's beat me or tapped me or, you know, coming up, coming up in the journey. So, I try to like learn as much as I can from those losses or, or, or and, and just keep getting better. Yeah, that's part of it, I guess. You always need to have that competitive nature to keep going forward in the right direction. But going yeah. back to when you started off training, 
Um, I saw a cool picture the other day of you in the background with Elio Gracie teaching some technique back in the old Gracie Academy. And I know you got your blue belt from Hoyes, actually. So I was wondering, how was that experience? And did you realize kind of the importance of it at the time? Or were you just going with the flow? Yeah, thankfully, man, I, uh, I ran into the right people at the right time. Um, you know, when I first started training when I was 16, um, it was at a Hawaiian Kempo studio. And, you know, luckily, the guy that was running the gym was like a, a UFC fan, mixed martial arts guy. And we would do kickboxing we would do karate but we had jujitsu every wednesday and patrick king taught jujitsu and he was a purple belt under hoist gracie but he was also like there during when kaiki ran the gracie academy i don't know if you know who kaiki is but I've he's heard like the a, name, yeah. yeah he's old school and he he ran a lot of the the classes at one time um before like henner and Hinon uh took over once they got a little bit older you know they took over and, and started teaching everything but you know, I just remember falling in love with jujitsu. I was like, man, this is, this is my thing. I was always like, okay in sports, like football. I was always like the little guy. But when I like first tried jujitsu, I remember the, the first class we did, like he taught us a kimura and I tapped somebody out with a kimura that day. And I was like, sweet, like <laughs> I got to keep doing this. But yeah, so going back to that, like Pat would take me to the Gracie Academy every weekend. Like I, I just caught the bug from there on out. Like 16 all the way you know ever, ever since i've just uh you know try to keep doing jiu-jitsu keep getting better and but going to the gracie academy every weekend uh i, I fell in love with like that gracie way you know i read the book the gracie way and just kind of learned about the family and the history um and i, I got like a huge respect for like how how it all came to be and you know how they brought jiu-jitsu to america and you know and popularized it and now how everybody's doing jiu-jitsu because of the gracie family so, and then, you know, having the chance to train with, uh, Helio Gracie that day, he, he taught like a six hour, six hour seminar at, at the Gracie Academy. And honestly, it was all like collar chokes from Mao and, you know, collar chokes and self-defense, uh, headlock escapes, which is all great stuff, uh, which I feel like a lot of nowadays, uh, you know, the new school, they don't know any of the, you know, self-defense stuff like back from the old days. So I came up during that time where it was a lot of self-defense jujitsu. Uh, you know, competition wasn't very important to them. You know, they were the, of course they would like always, uh, you know, want to fight, improve their jujitsu, but you know, doing tournaments wasn't really their thing. Did you see any Gracie challenges happen there? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, any good stories from those? Yeah, I remember one time actually this guy came in, uh, you know, there, there's always guys piping off, just like, you know, the Gracie in Action VHS tapes, same thing. And I remember I was a blue belt at this time and probably like a blue belt two stripes or something. And uh, I was chomping at the bit. I remember begging Henner, I was like, Henner, just please like, let me, let me just get one round with him. Because they, they put him in the cage and Henner was like, oh, no, 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 like, I'm going to take care of him, da, 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 da. I was like, please just give me one round. Cause I knew like, I just, I believed in my jujitsu, you know, I just wanted to like showcase my jujitsu and like get in there. But you know, Henry and Hedon took turns on this guy and just like totally demolished him. And, but, but they didn't do it. Like they did it kind of how like you did it. They didn't punch him or slap him. They just like totally used jujitsu to just beat them and, and just showcase, you know, like this works. Yeah. It's actually one of my main training partners at home he was doing MMA and he had known me from school and I was a lot smaller than him. And we went to primary school together. He's one of my best friends now, my best training partner ever. And we had gone to primary school together when we were like, let's say eight to 12 years old. 
So he remembered me and he was like, oh, Tom is doing jujitsu. And he was thinking, obviously, I'd beat him up. (laughs) So he came to visit and I was maybe 10 kilos smaller than him, 20 pounds. And I was a blue belt and he was he was pretty good at MMA, solid, whatever. And I remember, yeah, I submitted him maybe 10 times, all just guillotines, all with using very little effort. And then the next day he quit MMA, joined jiu-jitsu. And we've been helping each other kind of get up through the ranks ever since. So I know the kind of feeling of trying to use as little force as possible to like show show how much jiu-jitsu works. Yeah, that's the best, man. That's when people like really uh, get a respect for it. Like, like usually like that's what sells them. Like, oh, I couldn't get up or I couldn't escape. Like, and they should be able to feel like when an advanced person who knows jujitsu or even like a blue or purple belt who's been training for a while, like should be able just to use jujitsu and, and just submit and control somebody without throwing strikes. And how was the American scene back then? Cause that was obviously pretty early days. How were they training? Was there... How does it compare to nowadays, maybe when there's more structured practices or things like that? Yeah, so I started training in 2004. Um, wow. That, w- uh, that was the days, like, I think the American scene was just, like, just coming, like, on the mat, OTM. I don't know if, you know, OT- yeah, like, oh, yeah. O- OTM tapes, like, the one-on-one submission series DVDs. Like, there was a ton of great stuff they put out, but... Jeff Glover and Bill Cooper were like idols of mine. Like that was like right around the time, like they were, they were winning everything and they were just like an hour up North for me. Um, and I would spend like hours downloading YouTube videos on my mom's dial up internet speed. Cause like back then we didn't have internet, you know what I mean? Like it was hard to get VHS too. You just couldn't go on Amazon or BJJ fanatics and, and get something. So like I would, I, I just remember just like spending hours downloading stuff on YouTube, trying to like just watch their matches and um those are the two main ones that stuck out to me of course like lovato was like huge back then he was coming up in the scene and uh you know mike fowler uh you know ryan hall was was really prevalent back then we kind of came up at the same time and uh those are like the 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 guys who kind of like really uh stick out in my mind as far as the american guys but yeah so it was totally different the way like pat my my first instructor in the gracie academy um, you know, a lot of it was combatives kind of style, um, you know, old traditional jujitsu and not really competition based. So by the time I became like a blue and purple belt, I remember I wanted just to, I wanted to start, I wanted to start competing and I lost a, a couple guys in a tournament, uh, from Cobra Kai jujitsu actually. Uh, um, yeah, this one guy tapped me out as a blue belt and I was like, man, like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, am I not like training hard enough or am I not like doing the right things, the right techniques? And I think what it came down to is just being around, um, like-minded individuals who actually wanted to compete. And, uh, and it kind of just started to turn around from there. Nice. It's crazy how honest competition will kind of make you like, it makes you very honest in the training leading up to it. And it makes you very honest in the training afterwards. There's no, there's no hiding from it. I always recommend anyone who's starting off, if they ask me for any advice or tips, I'm like, just compete as much as you can and you'll probably figure out the rest. Yeah, that's what I've been telling all my white belts. Like, hey, uh, should I compete? I've only been training. I'm like, yeah. yes, <laughs> get out there. <laughs> you're going to learn a yeah. lot about yourself, win or lose. Like, especially when you lose, you're going to you're gonna learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, I feel like we were lucky coming up before. Well, I, I feel weird putting myself in the same bracket as you because you came up a good decade before me, but we both came up without so much internet you know like sometimes i get a little reminder on my phone of like 
six years ago and it's like some facebook photo of me as a blue or a purple belt winning something and it has like six likes or something and i'm actually happy that it wasn't no one was doing anything for the attention everyone was doing it for to improve their skills at yeah, fighting yeah yeah so seriously, man. i kind of miss that a little bit now people get everyone still wants to do it for the fighting but they get a bit distracted by the other stuff so i'm kind of glad that we didn't really have the distraction it let you focus 100 percent on just doing your thing yeah everybody wants attention nowadays you know it's a social media and the trolls it's a new currency. and yeah it, no seriously <laughs> yeah so you got your purple belt then off yeah i got my blue belt from uh hoist at a hoist gracie seminar um he was like go get yourself a blue belt and i remember going back to the gracie academy because i was already training with henner and heat on at the time and i was like man like hoist promoting me to blue belt they're like oh man he's family it's all right and i you know kind of felt weird but they're like cool um, so eventually they ended up, they ended up giving me my purple belt, uh, Henner and Hedon and Horian promoted me to purple belt. And, um, right around that time, um, you know, the, the Gracie Academy was in Torrance and uh, I was living in the San Fernando Valley. So that was like an hour drive with no traffic and, you know, you know, LA, like you're catching traffic. So it, it, honestly, it was, it was hard for me to get down there consistently and, um, I felt at the time like I lost those two guys in Vegas, uh, both guys that trained at Cobra Kai. Um, and then I became friends with Jeff. I went down to Santa Barbara a couple times as a purple belt to train with Glover. And, uh, you know, he took me on, you know, ate pizza, you know, and we just, hung, you know, hung out and fucking, I was like, man, this guy is cool. And then he was like, dude, I'm, I'm moving to Las Vegas. Like you should come out there too. And I was like, I'm not going to move to Las Vegas. Like, um, and then he was out there for a bit. I saw like everything was going well. I was like, man, I lost to two guys that train there. Like Jeff's out there now. He's telling I can come stay with him. Like, all right, like I'm 19 years old at this point. I'm just like, all right, I just bought a Honda Civic and uh, I packed it up and I was like, I'm moving to Las Vegas. <laughs> How did your parents take that? Um, well, I wasn't living with my parents at the time. So my oh, okay. mom told me I had to get a spot at 17. She was like, uh, we're moving. Da, da, da. You got to find your own place. So I was kind of off on my own and uh, living at my dad's kind of back and forth. And that was an interesting uh, situation. Um, but when I had the chance to to get out there, I was like, this is going to be good for me. You know, this is, this is going to help me grow and, and flourish and become That's a brilliant. man. And Mark Lehman was the coach over there. And did you know about the previous, let's say, drama between him and the the old Gracie Academy? Yeah, so that was like kind of weird too, right? Because like yeah. I'm I'm totally like non drama and don't play into that stuff. Going there, like I felt I would I felt like maybe they might have felt like I I the loyalty aspect. Oh, you you left and stuff. But you know I was young and I I felt like that was my my best move at the time. Um, yeah, and a good opportunity. And I I knew of Mark Lehman. I, I I've seen him compete and. Uh, you know, I, I knew whatever his, his match with heat on whatever happened. And, uh, so I was like, and it, but it had nothing to do with like, I, I put that out of the picture. I, I yeah. didn't know him personally, so I couldn't really judge his character, but like just seeing everything on, in online on video, I'm like, man, he kind of seems like a douche, you know, uh, you know, kind of a loud mouth, but when you meet him, you know, he's got a good heart. He, he comes off that way sometimes in public. He, you know, he is pretty loud and it, it could be arrogant. But, you know, I'm not that type of person. So, like, I would just hope people can differ differentiate uh, the, the both. Yeah, of, of course. 
And I think for anyone who doesn't know, the ba- the crude version of it was probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like Mark left the old Gracie Academy because he felt like he wasn't getting the best training and that just didn't go down well. And then he had a famous match, actually. It's funny, any, anyone who wants to watch it on YouTube against uh, Hedon Gracie. And right at the end of the match, it's a really strange match. match. There's like a thousand people at, at the competition watching it. And they're all on the mats with shoes and everything. And near the <laughs> end of it, Mark is like playing almost spider guard off of Hedon's t-shirt and pulling it all around the place in the butterfly guard. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, why the ref wasn't stopping it. Cause, and there was another stage where Mark was trying to lift Hedon by his shorts to like flip him to the turtle. And he was basically pantsing him. And I just thought it was funny, like the, the whole scene, it was very different than than anything I'd seen. I'd recommend anyone watching to to check that out after. Dude, after there's a lot of old school stuff I recommend people check out. Yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to name a bunch of stuff off the top of my head, but like a lot of those old OTM on the mat stuff, uh, you can definitely learn some and see some cool stuff. And Mark as well, he was kind of one of the original Danaher type figures who was well known for coaching and coaching MMA fighters as well. Was he doing anything different at the time to other coaches that kind of set him apart? Because his school there, Cobra Kai, was getting very good results at the time. And as you said, Jeff and and other guys were there. Yeah, man, it, it was uh, it, it was a, a really good room when I got there. There's a ton of good guys. Um, and, and Mark is, uh, he's very intellectual as far as uh, he breaks things down. And I, I think the difference between Mark and all the other guys at that time was... Uh, he really studied film and he really studied matches and fights and he just didn't study them by like watching. He actually would edit. He had like hard drives and files of like edited moves. And like, I still have files of like all of Marcelo stuff. He edited like all of Hodger Gracie stuff, you know, he edited and it's just like Toriando series, you know, like flop pass, high level guillotine, North South choke. And it's just like all these different files of, uh, of just collected footage from, you know, all, all their matches, all their online stuff. Um, he So he was just super, he nerded out on just the whole film and editing aspect of it. And he actually taught me how to edit. Um, and I feel like that helped my game a lot. Like I started editing all my stuff and just editing fights for fun, just to kind of like break down moves and see what's working. And you just keep running it back in your head. And you're like, man, oh, you see how that, what he did there, where he put his foot there. And you just, I think that's kind of where he, uh, where he kind of changed things up at that time. He, he did a lot of film watching, a lot of studying. And did you feel like your game accelerated a lot at that time then? Because you started to get some good results around the purple brown belt level. And there's actually uh, a match of you with uh, Hafa Mendes, if you remember having that match and how it was and seeing obviously what he went on to do. How was it to kind of remember back on that? That's crazy, right? Like, um, yeah, you know, I already knew who Hafa was at the time because, you know, we all like, Anybody who uh, loves jujitsu is gonna know the know the 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 killers around or the studs or the people who are winning. Like you know, we nerd out on this. So um, I knew at the time. Yeah, I, I felt like I always had like pretty decent jujitsu, um, but I at purple and especially at brown is I felt like, like you said. I feel like I really started to turn that corner. Uh, I think a few different things happened. Uh, for one, I started training with, with Cobra Kai. So I was getting better, better training partners. Uh, I was training more, you know, back when I was back home, I was maybe training once a day with a couple, you know, dudes who work an office job, you know, like, so I was, 
it was all right. But like, this was actually like a structured where I was like living jujitsu. Um, you know, once I moved to Vegas and, you know, I felt like my jujitsu started to take off and I was competing more. And, um, I think that really helped a lot too. Just the film study, everything combined at that time. And then I started reading a lot into like psychology and, um, mm. you know, like, um, just a couple books like wrestling tough. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Uh, no, but I'll check it out. Wrestling tough, man. Uh, yeah. That books. Yeah. It's really good. I think that changed the game for me. Um, the grappling blueprint by Lloyd Irvin that like mm. at that time, like, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I try to follow some things that, you know, he was doing with his guys and, you know, I would, I would try to like pick Ryan's like brain about things and, He's like doing an inverted triangle 200 times in one practice on this on this one of those little dummy things that are connected to the wall. Like they just connected a gi and he's just doing his little inverted triangle 200. I'm like, dude, but he's inverting triangling everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it just came down to training a little bit harder, training smarter and just training with better guys uh, at that time. And maybe just becoming more of an adult. Uh, you know, I turned 20 and started doing like a little kettlebells and maybe eating better, but it all plays a factor, man. You know this, yeah. like it all, like slip eating, uh, learning how to cut weight better. Like it all plays a factor. And as you get older and more experienced, you, you, you should be able to get better at it. Yeah. I feel like I had a similar experience as well. When I was 19, it was the first time I went to Miami to train over at Cyborg's gym. And up until that point as well, I'd been training maybe three, four days a week with mostly older guys who were, were training two or three times a week, maybe. And then I went over there, trained twice every single day. I think once on Saturday and Sunday and twice every single day. I didn't miss one day of training in three months that I was there. And I came back like people didn't know me when I came back. I, oh, gained, yeah. <laughs> I think I gained 15 pounds. <laughs> and yeah, I went from I, I went from being a light featherweight to being overweight for featherweight. I was like a full belt level ahead. People were like, what the fuck were you doing over in Miami? I was like just eat, eating, sleeping training i remember i used to come home from training in the afternoon and i had absolutely no money but it was grand my budget was like what was my budget 12 dollars a day i think and <laughs> so if i spent 25 one day i had to just i had zero for the next day so i used to come home put some rice on the cooker cook that pour out the water pour in a tin of like tomatoes uh stir that up and then two tins of tuna stir it up sit down on the couch eating it and i had no air conditioner in my room as well for the first half of the trip so i'd be sitting down eating my dinner sweating all over myself and then after dinner i'd have to have a shower because i was just sweating too much yeah man everybody th everybody thinks this is just all you know all fun uh <laughs> you know but i think to actually get somewhere in in, in combat anything you know kickboxing jujitsu mixed martial arts like you have to live and eat it and, and suffer um you know i i can tell you ramen del taco stories you know like all i could afford were like these 30 cent tacos and i would have three of them you know for dinner but you know i think uh all of us can share something some hardships coming up in our journey but going back to the hoffa match uh yeah so i knew i knew who his, him and his brother were and i felt like i was like a pretty decent brown belt at the time i was like winning winning a lot of the tournaments i did and uh dude our division was about to start like and i i checked everybody's names i was like all right this, this is looking like this is looking pretty promising 
like like, like right right at the last second like uh hoffa and his brother show up and they're like pen up pen up like they didn't speak a lick of english like uh saying featherweight i was like oh shit <laughs> these two are my division you know and uh first match i got hoffa um and dude before, i didn't know what like now i know what he did to me like watching that match because that was the first time i actually saw that match when he posted it yeah um and dude so he pulled guard and, and bare and bowled me and came up and and passed my guard and uh i was like what did he just do to me like i had never seen the bare and bolo before uh and i remember like I was telling my training partners after that, I was like, he came up a certain way after that sweep where like I couldn't recover my leg. Like there was like, he already had it pinned and like looking back at it, you know, that's Baron Bolo coming up. The that's legs amazing. already passed. And, um, and I just remember like, I just pummeled up and I got like a, a single leg reversal on him. Um, and ended up on top. We, I forgot what else happened, but he beat me five, two. Um, and I was just pissed the rest of the day. I remember like, uh, I just fucking went home. I was like, <laughs> and could you feel the level off him at the time? Like, did you feel like that guy is something special, or you just felt like, oh yeah, I already knew, enough? man. Like I said, I, I had yeah. already been following him. I um uh, at like Purple Belt. I I already heard about him, and like he was in Brazil at the time, and now he was finally able to come kind of like back and forth. I think to to America and start competing. Um, but yeah, like right away, right off the bat, like he hit me with that Baron Bolo pass and I was like, damn, this dude's slick. Um, yeah. And I'm like, right, I knew right away, man, I was like, this dude's going to do big things. And as you can see, he, you know, he's won everything multiple times. And, um, he's, he, those guys are great instructors as well. Like I, I learned a ton just from like watching their, their Instagram and, um, even their students, they're all, they're all amazing, man. All those guys. It was around the time you got your black belt, was it, that you started getting into MMA? So brown belt, um, I had I started fighting amateur at brown belt, and honestly, um, you know, I would all, I would all, always watched UFC. When I first started, I was doing the kempo, I was doing the stand up. So it's not like I just started off as jujitsu and went straight into MMA. Like I did and dabbled in the in the stand up stuff, like in the beginning. Um, got my brown belt in kempo and did a little taekwondo, but once I went to Mark's, um, MMA guys are always coming in, you know, Tyson Griffin was coming in Forrest Griffin, like all, a lot of the, you know, since it was in Vegas, like a lot of Rico Rodriguez, you know, a lot of guys were coming in at the time and, and, and doing their jujitsu there, but they were MMA guys. So I would always like Mark, the lighter guys, Mark would always like sick me on him. Like, Hey, Holdsworth, like, like, you know, get, get after him. Like he would give me like this little, like, oh damn, you know, gotta try to put it on these guys. But, um, so I was like, man, I'm, you know, do pretty well with some of these MMA guys. And then one of, uh, one of our teammates started traveling for these pancreation tournaments, which was like, uh, you start on the feet, it's all body strikes to the feet, uh, or you kicks to the body, punches to the body, and then takedowns, strikes to the body and jujitsu on the ground. So nothing to the face. Oh, okay. So I ended up doing that. And I was like, man, I actually like, like this pancreation tournaments. And I, uh, won a couple of, won a couple of those at purple belt and brown belt. This organization tough enough was a pro organization in Las Vegas and ended up coming to our gym. They're like, Hey, we're switching to an amateur only league. We're looking for fighters. And this was back in 2008 when I was, a, when I was a brown belt and I was like, sign me up. 
you know, and we had like a ton of guys from our team get on that actual card. And that was my first fight and ended up having, after that, it was just like, it was kind of like that little, that little fire guy. I was like, all right, maybe I should keep doing this and had six fights with them and, uh, you know, started more transition to MMA. And honestly, I feel like Layman's was, he was always kind of like more MMA. He's always more no gi per se. We, we did gi every day, but he was more of like a considered a no gi guy. Um, and then when Shane Roller and the team takedown guys came to Cobra Kai, um, I was like pretty much Shane Roller's main training partner at the time. And that's when I really like started going straight into MMA. I was like, man, I'm doing this all the time. I'm having to train with these guys. Why not start getting paid? Like, because at that time you weren't getting paid for jujitsu competitions, like at all. <laughs> there wasn't like, there wasn't anything, probably maybe ADCC. But like there wasn't anything that was like paying paying money like today is. So I was like, man, I need to start getting paid for this. If I'm gonna train every day, like let's start let's start fighting and getting paid. So started doing that, and then once once I was doing good, I was you know went pro and and went from there. So that was kind of my transition at brown belt, and you know black belt is when you know kind of went started really going into MMA. Yeah, and were you working at like odd jobs while you were coming up? let's say brown belt black belt in vegas to get by or yeah luckily uh i had a verizon job like my first job ever was like selling cell phones uh when i was 17 i got it uh <laughs> and i remember i used to have like this little razor scooter that you know you just with one leg you just it's got two, you know one of those the, the razor scooters i know the ones yeah 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 little metal ones so i had that i would wear my backpack and that and i would like catch the bus to to go to work and then i would ride my razor to the gym after work um but yeah, I worked the Verizon job and then luckily when I moved to Las Vegas, they had a network down there. It was like a, um, a authorized dealer or whatever. And somehow I hooked up with them and ended up working there for a few months, but the, they had like no, no, uh, indoor traffic or anything. So I was just literally just sitting there like falling asleep under the desk and being tired from training. Like literally like shit, you not, man. Like I was so tired some days I would just like pull up and like, fall asleep under the desk and like point the camera the other way uh i know it's bad but like i would like get like 30 minutes of rest under there and like pop up when someone would like the doorbell would ring like someone's coming into like a customer i would just pop up like oh how could i help you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i did that job and then um i started teaching after that and just kind of making a little bit of money uh doing privates and i had a couple classes a week and pretty much just struggled to get by from 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 there on out just teaching jiu-jitsu were jeff or any of the other jiu-jitsu guys there did they ever consider mma or were they just more focused on the jiu-jitsu at the time yeah i don't think i ever heard jeff talk about mma uh i've probably heard him say like fuck mma <laughs> yeah yeah like i don't want to get punched in the face type of thing i think he would have been good if he would have put the training in and took it serious i definitely think he you know could have won some fights because just his style like I see him doing some cool shit in there. <laughs> and when you first went pro, was it hard adapting your jiu-jitsu to MMA or how did you take to that? Good thing about the amateur thing, like that's the reason I kind of stayed a little bit longer, uh, you know, having six fights and being a brown belt, still fighting amateur. Like some people are like, dude, you're a sandbagger, you know, you should have been pro. And, you know, maybe I should have some more pro fights instead of Amy. But like I took my time because I wanted to make sure I felt comfortable for one striking I felt comfortable setting up the takedown um, and, and just comfortable in general, just in the fight. 
So I took my time in the amateur and, you know, try to work out a lot of uh, kinks. And, you know, the course in the beginning of, of the pro career, I'm still working out all the kinks, you know, figuring out what works, what doesn't, um, you know, getting more comfortable with the striking uh, each fight, uh, you know, each year goes by. And, you know, when I came, when I, so when we moved from Vegas, Mark and Team Takedown, all like Jake Rochelle, all the Oklahoma rest, Johnny Hendricks, who's a former UFC champion, their managers were in Texas. So they moved us all out to Texas um, to, to train there and to manage us. And so I moved out there for about four months and had my first professional fight actually in, in, in Arlington, Texas. Oh, wow. And I just didn't really like it in Texas. Just a couple things. Uh, I was living with Mark and another guy and, um, you know, him treating me like his, his, his little student, little brother the whole time. You know, it just like, it, it was just yeah. hard, you know, we couldn't really like, um, change the dynamic up and yeah. Especially when you're trying to be the tough guy, professional fighter, you know, you yeah. kind of have to embody that in your daily life a bit, I'd say. Yeah, it was just, it was just hard, man. And some things about the management I, I wasn't really agreeing with. So I was like, I'm just going to go back home and kind of uh, rebound a little bit. So luckily my mom let me stay at her place for like eight months back in Southern California. And uh, at that time is when I went to go train with Bill because Bill was, I already knew Bill. We, we trained before and the savage that he was, I was like, he was doing MMA at that time and he was at this place called Agora Boxing who had, they had a pretty good boxing program and coach Mike was our boxing coach and kind of took us under, took us under our wing. And, um, so it was like two jujitsu guys, like trying to learn the striking game. And, uh, you know, it, it was cool. And I really saw my boxing really progress in that eight months, just like really working with coach Mike. Um, and then, from there, I had the opportunity to move to Sacramento, and that's when I really feel like I, I saw some leaps and bounds. Is really in my wrestling, uh, you know, setting up the takedowns, uh, just just everything in general is like, you know, I really started to see things put, get put together. And I know with Team Alpha Male, Uriah was recruiting a lot of guys. Is that how he approached you, or did you try and just go there yourselves because you knew about the team? So it's crazy. Uh, I was following this nutritionist on Twitter. Um, yeah. Eric Trilegi, it was like nutrition for life. And one of my buddies I used to train with was worked with him for one of his fights. So that's how I saw him. I was like, oh, who's this nutritionist guy? I'm going to follow him and just kind of see what he's all about. And he started posting like, hey, look into, look into room and uh, manage an up-and-coming fighter. Um, you know, rent free, we'll cook for you, this, this, and that. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I was like, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. It's a good deal. Yeah, let, let me send him my resume. So I sent him my resume and he was like, you're top, you're top on the list. Like, when can you make it down? And I was like, oh, like my hand was all busted at the time. And I was like, uh, I don't want to go there now because I don't want to be thinking I'm a pussy because I can't spar right away. Or he was, oh, I don't even think about it like that. He was like, just come down, think of it as a vacation. So I was like, all right, mom, I'm going to Sacramento now. Um, so I moved out to Sacramento and, you know, crazy. I come to find out like um, I had just moved into this this other guy's room, which was like an inter interesting dynamic. Like, I don't know if he got just kicked out and I'm like, I moved into his room and his bed and we ended up becoming good friends and like laughing about it. But I was like, Eric, like take me to the gym. Like I wanted. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to meet Uriah because I knew Uriah from like we would see each other at some grappling competitions. And I, of course, knew of him through the MMA scene. But we didn't 
like know each other per- real personally at the time. So finally, Eric took me to the gym. And the first day I was there, like practice has just ended. And Uriah was like, oh, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I just moved here. He was like, what? Like, like how did that happen? He was like, well, we're, we're all going to Point Arena, which was like, Point Arena is the mo- most northernest coast on in Northern California. Like, there's a lighthouse. It's right on the right on the ocean. Okay. It's really it's like a retreat, and they had like a, a little retreat house with bunk beds and a matted area. Um, and basically, it's like we're all going out there for the weekend. Like, you should come out. This would be like a good bonding experience. And I was like, all right. Like, this is my first day. Like, me and everybody was like, meet me at my house in an hour. I was like, all right. Um, and then Eric was like, Oh, you're already leaving me. I was like, Oh man, like, sorry, I gotta, you know, I'm going to go train with the guys. So I end up going to Uriah's and, and the drive up there is like, you know, TJ Dillashaw is in the car, Lance Palmer, um, master Tong. And I don't, I don't know if you're familiar w- with any of these guys' names, but, uh, Oh, all of them. Yeah. Of course. They're all, so it was like, it was pretty crazy. Like I'm just like in the back seat, crunched in between like master Tong and Lance and like basically just getting grilled the whole time. Like the four hour drive up there, like they want to know how I start, you know, what, I, what I've won, what, you know, how, who I got my belts from. So, uh, just kind of like checking me out, seeing, cause we haven't even trained yet. Right. So we get up there and, uh, it's like a, it's like a five mile run to the light post like right away like everyone puts their shit down there chad mendez meets up there joseph benavides all the guys basically everybody that was on the team at the time that was like fighting we all met up there and it's like it turns into a five mile like race like from this like uriah just takes off it turns out being like a race the whole time um and that was just the start of it and then we have like a couple hours off and they're like all right jujitsu time I'm like, all right, shit. Like, you know, now I knew like they're going to probably try to like, you know, see what I got. And I remember like Fabio, uh, which was like, he still is. And, and he was like a part of, he's the jiu-jitsu uh, guy at the time was, uh, he was putting me with everybody just right back to back. Like They're not even rolling. Like, all right, boom, TJ, Joe, Uriah, Lance, Chad. And so I probably went like six rounds straight with like all the, all the good guys. And, uh, I was just remember like, damn, man, this is great training. And uh, I think I got a little respect after that, you know, after that training session. Um, and they're like, and then they all started fucking with me from there on out. They're like, who's this weird skinny white kid? Like, just kind of like, you know, like, just like the new kid, you know what I mean? And it's cool. And, and that's kind of how everything started. We ended up staying there for a few days and uh, came right back, uh, right back to the gym. And Dustin Akabari is waiting there for me. Like he must have heard from somebody. He's like, "Hey, you want to go first round?" I'm like, "Man, dude, I've been fucking my back's all tight from the drive." Like it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure you know how that goes. <laughs> it's crazy how good a team of like up and comers, especially from the small weight classes that you had. Then was everyone living in a similar area? Was there kind of a fighter house or anything at the time? Yeah. So Uriah had a fighter house. They they, they had something called the block, which like. I think he had like two or three houses and, and a couple of his other friends had houses like all in the same block. Um, you know, I moved like there right as that like was kind of like dismantling, but everybody like lived pretty close to the gym at the time. Um, so, you know, everyone was at the gym and it, it was it was a packed house full of, full of really good guys at the time and still is. I'm surprised that he was able to keep the spirits so high, like Uriah, as being a leader. Because I'd say if you have that many competitive people living together, spending all that time together, I'm surprised there wasn't more, we say, bust-ups between everyone. How was it living with so many 
up and coming fighters who are young and hungry and competitive? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of testosterone and a lot of women, you know, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get to see that crazy dynamic cause I, I came right, right as that was ending. But I think the guys are all super chill and cool. Wouldn't, uh, and they weren't all living together all at the same time. It would be like maybe three in a house, three in a house and, you know, guys kind of separate from that. But I think if you're sparring and beating each other up every day, like it gets to the house, like you're probably not going to have the energy to like, you just want to chill. Yeah, man, I get to the house. I'm like, I'm chilling. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, talk, have big combos or I just want to relax. <laughs> it was really interesting to see how Chris's progression developed in the mid 2000s, especially before jujitsu was as mainstream as it is today, how he was able to transition almost seamlessly into MMA and the different random things that helped change his life in a sense. Stay tuned for next week's episode, which will be part two of this conversation where we talk much more about Chris's MMA career. Chris shares some great insight and inspiration as well of how he's had to change his goals to adapt to some unfortunate life circumstances. As usual, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcast platforms. Share the podcast with your friends and any feedback is much appreciated as well. Until next week, Slán agus Bánach.